You're listening to 50% Facts, the show where we try to answer specific questions on an individual topic, and then at the end, we bring in an expert to give you the real answers. I'm Jim McDonald. And I'm Mike Farr. Welcome to our show. Airbnb, again, I'm probably cutting ties and sponsors here. Sorry if you <laughs> sponsor us down the road. And I guess I don't blame you, Mr. Airbnb. Your your idea was great. Yeah. Uh, your Some of your people freaking suck. Uh, and Uber, love it. Use it all the time. Mr. Uber, I think you're very, very smart. But some of your drivers are fucking idiots. Uh, I had so many bad things. Not bad. So this was a great trip. I just came back from Boston. Awesome time. Great to meet some internet friends. Great to hang out with some of my normal friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Always, when I travel, and I guess everybody too, maybe I'm just sensitive. I think I am sensitive. So some some little things that someone might just brush off, mm-hmm. like, no, oh, that guy you know, is a jerk, or that guy's having a bad day, mm-hmm. just stick with me. I'm like, God damn, that guy was a cunt. And uh, so Airbnb, we'll start there. I got Airbnb, I have Uber, and then I have my flight, which I'm not going to mention because I am like a gold member in their shit, so I don't want to put them on blast yet. But one more bad thing, I'll fucking put you on blast. Airbnb, it's not that big of a deal, but... You search for how many, what area you want to go to, mm-hmm. maybe a price range, and mm-hmm. how many people you want in this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Don't put that you can sleep six people mm-hmm. when you have two beds and a couch that's a piece of shit. That makes yeah. me really mad. Yeah. And it may have been a queen bed. It might have been a twin. Either way, like, we're grown-ass men. My my homie, Kyle, is 6'5", 210. <laughs> is he going to sleep in a twin bed with me? I'm 5'9", 210. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this does not sleep six. And if it does, say something like uh, two couples or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like well, I, I, I'm not against sleeping against uh, another man. Like I'm not, you know, weird about it. But uh, I'm not weird about it that's another man. I'm weird about it that it's another human and I'm trying to get motherfucking good sleep and that there's six, you know? It's hard to sleep in the bed with another person that you don't sleep with all the time. Exactly. And, and in a smallish even bed. Then. My, my bed here, I'm a, yeah, call me a diva. I don't, fuck you guys. I have a king size bed all to myself. <laughs> I, I stretch out. I need that. It makes yeah. me, sleep is the number one priority in my life. Number two is probably my mom and then number three is probably work. But number one is goddamn sleep because if that's uh, fucked up, I'm fucked up. Yeah. Two, they, 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 and I know Boston's expensive, whoever's trying to run this business. The person, it's clearly a business Airbnb now. You know, yeah. it's not like a, here rent out my house it's like a company deal yeah uh they redo the kitchen looks pretty nice they have a piece of shit tv that's i mean it's a nice tv but it's half falling off the wall with a note saying don't touch it because it's gonna fucking break basically that's bad yeah they redo the living room they paint it but then you go into my room and i swear the mattress is from 1948 like there you could feel each spring into my spine see that's that's for me that's the number one thing that people if you're gonna run an airbnb at the very least go to Costco and get that memory foam Any pad of to it. put on top. How much is it a makes spring it so bed? Much more a spring bed's probably 500 bucks. How much do you get those little delivery beds? 500 bucks. Like, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? It's the same thing and just, yeah, some kind of foam deal or something where it's literally, you could feel the metal springs in you. Yeah. Most uncomfortable bed I've ever been in. And then you go to the bathroom and you guys are just going to think I'm diving it up. I, I wish we the podcast could have pictures here. You, It's redone kind of. So toilet's nice. Shower looks nice. Sink looks nice, but then the walls aren't painted. There's scuffs everywhere where the rest of the house is like kind of painted. And I get it. Again, Boston is probably, it might even be a million dollar apartment. You know, it's probably so. Downtown and midtown or downtown. 
But then the, the shower. So nice tile, looks all redone. Uh, it's a walk-in. There's no door, just glass, if that makes sense. So imagine just a regular walk-in shower, no bathtub. And oh, normally okay, there's a glass saying, yeah, door. Yeah, yeah frameless. Yeah, yeah it's frameless kind of. uh, and just a piece of glass. But the piece of glass only covers maybe 30% of that wall or what should mm-hmm. be the door so you turn on the water and the whole oh, bathroom is fucking wet, wet. Yeah. the entire thing yeah. like literally the entire yeah. the, 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 the the shitter has water on it the sink is getting water from the shower like everything is wet and so it absolutely makes no sense where i don't know if it's by design or if they're cutting corners or what and i'm just like holy shit man and it's not a cheap airbnb no it was like the most expensive downtown was probably like six hundred a night. I probably went with like four hundred a night. Mm, that's a lot. Well, you know, and then but then you do money and you got six. You know, you do some uh, calculate. You got six guys. Yeah, and we go to a hotel minimum two hundred a night. Right. You know, so I'm trying to save a little bit of money. But then again, none of not all six guys had a bed. Yeah, and there. Okay, so a couple of years ago, I uh, uh, my buddy Chris and I went to LA Fit Expo, and I just got an Airbnb down there downtown it was in a really nice place but it said it had two beds but the but all i could find was a couch he ended up sleeping on the floor but he's not one of those people that cares but as we were checking out i realized that there was an air mattress in the closet oh that's nice i looked though yeah you we looked. didn't have one Nothing. yeah okay but it, even that like just get a roll away one it probably costs 500 bucks or something like if you're trying but to it do wouldn't this be that hard because nobody's living there all the time right it's just an airbnb yeah 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 I basically don't know. running a hotel room i think airbnb should do tighter on the rules of how many people you say it can sleep. Yeah, no, I think that that's probably true. But there are a couple. Here's one thing: you you need to email them before you actually book. Yeah, I'm and, bad. And say specifically, this is what I'm looking for. Is this? Can I get this? Here? Yeah, I'm bad with that. I'm really bad with all um, that. I, I should do better. I literally just book and go. Um, and I try to do. I try to like look at the pictures and count the beds and. Uh, but but then yeah, sometimes it says. I was like, well, it says sleep six. Fuck it. Yeah, I did that. Um, I booked without paying a lot of attention in January when I, when I went to LA by myself. I thought, oh yeah, this place will be cheap. It was I was doing some stuff at Barbell Brigade. I thought it's pretty close, although that's a shitty neighborhood. Yeah, I, not- what I did not know was how shitty the neighborhood was and how shitty the building itself was. Yeah, it's old. The, the unit was not bad. Yeah, but the building was in bad Starting shape. To get old. And it was in a terrible neighborhood. Um, LA is weird, you know. It's I guess every city you can kind of say this. You know, you turn one street and it starts to get bad. But like LA is so spread out and massive, and some of the buildings are so old. You could be in a nice neighborhood and it looks not so nice, but it's safe. And, yeah. You know. Oh. Yeah. But then you go to another one, it looks the exact same, and you're about to get shot up. Our our worst experience, and I feel like I've told this story before, but our worst experience was in Halifax a few years ago when um. We rented a place, an Airbnb that was supposed to be the whole house, and it was not. Ah, uh, yeah, that's bad. And, I've heard. And there were there stories. were people, like, you know, we opened the door of the downstairs bedroom, and there were like, there was like lemurs in there or something. It's like all the eyes pop up in the light, and it's like, ah, yeah, get me the fuck out of here. It turns into a community visit. Yeah, no, wow. it's crazy. So I, I the. Now, what we do because I use it a lot, and I and most of my experience is good. Probably more than eighty percent of my experience with Airbnb is good. Um, yeah, mine's not always bad, but there's always something. Like even this experience was fine, easy check in, yeah. affordable. It got six guys in there. We slept okay. We didn't die. Yeah. You know what I mean? The water's fine. We got hot water, but like mm-hmm. it's always like a little something that I'm like, fuck, this wouldn't happen at a hotel. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's what's in my head. Yeah, it's just like fuck, it could have been better. 
Yeah. And you're spending like real money now. Like I guess I didn't Airbnb 10 years ago whenever it probably started or whatever. Mm. But back then I heard like it was way cheaper and that's why people were doing it. Like, oh, it's so cheaper. But now it's the same. And same with Ubers. Ubers are the same price as the taxi. Like the only convenience is that your app real quick. Your app and there are more of them. You don't yeah. have to wait as long. Yeah. That's, that's a, a Depending on the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the only big cities you can get a taxi are in Vegas and New York. Yeah. Where Airbnb, or Uber's everywhere. And I guess it's kind of the same for Airbnb, but. I'm over it. And I keep saying this every single trip I take. Like, all right, hotel next time, but I'm probably And then gonna, you look at the prices and go, Yeah, I'm going to uh, end up in it. Yeah, and, and the issue is you travel with business or like a mm-hmm. bunch of guys. Like, we're going to LA with four or five of us to film on a project. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, we got to get an Airbnb. It's just more money efficient. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. I I still, for the most part, enjoy it. Like, we're going to Halifax in a few weeks, and... We have a very nice Airbnb that's pretty cheap. It's yeah, like right on the on the water. And it's really family Halifax. stuff, kind yeah, of. So you can cook. Stuff. Mine's like work stuff. Like I, I, I'm not going to cook for you, bastards. Like we're here working. You You're know not what I mean? Stand efforting and cook everything. Yeah, he doesn't go any places. Doesn't have a kitchen. Yeah, I, and I get that bodybuilder life, or even just families. Yeah. Like, oh, we we got little kids. We're not going to go to a restaurant every night. I'll yeah, just buy him some yeah. cereal or something. I get it, but that's not really my. Nice. And we don't eat. We don't typically eat out for breakfast. Right. Very often yeah. because it's expensive and it's always like a giant calorie bomb. And it takes a long time. And sometimes. it takes a long time. And it's easier to go out for lunch, go out for dinner. I don't know. I agree. Traveling, we, I feel like I've said this before too, but we have like one meal that costs something during the day and the other meal is cheap and, and then one meal is, you know, just like in the in the place. Like I tend to do that too. I tend yeah. to do that too. Coffee, lunch is like a sandwich, something quick, and then yeah. dinner I try to have something yeah. like Un- Unless you can go to an expensive restaurant where you can get the their best food cheaper for lunch. True. <laughs> Which is definitely done. True. All right, so. Dr. Aaron, Squat University, teach me. Yeah. Are squats bad for your knees? I don't know. So let's not go down this alley, but we're going down this alley. Stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason, right? Yeah. Right? Like they didn't. Yeah, if there was nothing just, behind them then. Right? Whatever. You, I don't I don't want to whip one out right now because people start calling me racist, but <laughs> I'm trying to think of one that has to do with me, you know, so you can always make fun of yourself. But whatever. There's whatever. There's people, certain people drive bad, certain people like this kind of mm-hmm. food, certain people walk like this, whatever, talk like mm-hmm. this, right? There's always, I guess Italians talk with their hands or something, mm-hmm. right? Like that's not necessarily that negative a stereotype, but it's probably something true. Right. Yeah. Uh, compared to maybe uh, some Swiss man doesn't talk with his hands or something, and that's how that stereotype started. This has been around forever. Squatting's mm-hmm. bad for your knees. Yeah. And like, it, 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 look, I powerlifted a very long time. I haven't really had any knee issues. I've been pretty lucky throughout my basketball career and powerlifting career. Maybe a little bit of pain here and there. Probably just some tendonitis, something overuse stuff, or maybe my form was off that day, or. Maybe I, you know, warmed up with some box jumps, then squatted, then did a bunch of sled sprints, and that just ended up being too much mm-hmm. too soon. Um, my professional opinion, no. <laughs> Squats aren't bad for your knees, but to play devil's advocate, again, the stereotype or this myth had to come from somewhere. Yeah, well, my experience with it is not like I feel like I'm doing damage to my knees or whatever, but my but particularly my right knee has bothered me before, and it's been diagnosed as... Um, patella tendonitis or uh, like IT band syndrome, that kind of stuff where uh, the musculature or the tendons or whatever are pulling on the the, the patella, the kneecap right. when you squat. So it, it creates a little bit of friction and that friction causes a little bit of inflammation. 
and then it feels funny. I've read, but it's not just squatting that does that. Like right, like presses will do that. So that's Anything, where I was going to go next. Wa- like walking long distances or running or any of that kind of stuff will all of that will will cause the same thing for me. I've read it, uh, every article I found for a very long time on the internet about fitness, lifting, strength, conditioning, nutrition. That's how I learned what I learned. Right, whether it be uh, podcasts or friends uh, or YouTube or articles on whatever website. And there are some, less now, but there was a lot more in, you know, 2008, 9, 10 about squatting being bad for your knees. But I I never read one with, like, a good argument why. There was never, like, an anatomy breakdown or or biomechanics breakdown of why. I I guess the big thing people would say in these articles is don't allow your knees to go past your toe, which for the majority of humans is very hard anyways. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you do that, then your heels would probably come off the ground for the majority of humans, depending on your built and flexibility. And if your heels come off the ground, you probably couldn't use that much load. Mm-hmm. So I may agree that if your knees are going way past, so you're going to a very insanely deep squat, a lot of knee flexion with heavy load, you are more likely to put a lot of stress on that knee. But what I would argue is that the load would be limited mm-hmm. because you're not using proper form and your whole foot's not on the ground, right? You're not using your posterior at all. You're not using your hamstrings and glutes because you're standing on your toes, basically. Right. The other thing that these articles, these shitty articles, in my opinion, would say uh, is don't squat. It's bad for your knees. Do leg presses, which like you just said. like Leg presses so, can be just as big a problem worse. or worse. Yeah, because yeah. now the ground's fixed, your hips are fixed, and your low back's fixed, so you can't move how your body needs yeah. to move. Um, and then it obviously depends, you know, but you know, someone probably out there said tall people can't squat, which is bogus. You know, we've had training partners, uh, Dan, my boy, Casey Johnson, um, both over 6'4", mm-hmm. squat, uh, Dan squat 800 pounds, and Casey yeah. squatted nearly six uh, raw. So there's... Big you know, weight difference between the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Casey's like a 242 <laughs> and Dan was super heavy. But either yeah. way, you know, like that's a lot of load. Yeah. And they both trained for a long time. I uh, never really complained about knee issues. So um, my, you know, whatever professional opinion you guys care about, I, I would say no. Our, 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 our patella tendon is a smaller tendon uh, and it's not really connected by a bunch. Your knee's often connected on the inside by ligaments, not on the outside by tendons. And so that's why people do dislocate their knee a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the patella tendon basically connects your kneecap, um, which is just kind of floating there, and that's yeah. um, possible. Uh, patella tendon snapping is much rarer, uh, although it does happen Horrific. in sports. Yeah, my, one of my good friends did it in a, uh, in, in a bathroom accident, which is always right. Oh you slip, God. snapped his patella, um, which happens. Dislocations happen, look gross, uh, but besides some maybe tendonitis or something coming from squats or mm-hmm. just overuse in general, like you said. It could be walking. It could be it could be hiking. It mm-hmm. could be mountain climbing. It could be fucking biking. It could be anything. Overuse of your knee. Uh, get a little bit tendonitis or growth. I guess I had that a little bit more um, playing basketball uh, when I was growing, you know, oh, being 5'5", yeah, yeah. five, five, to being 5'9", five, and I'm pounding on my hardwood all day. Uh, my knees got a little achy, you know, freshman year high school or something. But other than that, um, with proper form, and proper progression, if you go from never squatting to squatting every single day, mm-hmm. you might hurt your knees a little bit. But that's the same for anything. Yeah, the, uh, a, a thing to mention is like as a, as a kid, like you were saying with the growth thing, I had Osgood Schlatter's where the tendon's trying to pull away from the bone. And so like I'm a big, I have a big calcium deposit on one side and a medium-sized one on the other where it was just trying to come apart. And that's like that's one of the reasons why I didn't play sports other than being horribly un- uncoordinated. Yeah. Uh, I didn't play a lot of sports because it, I was in pain a lot, and I still have knee drop. Like I'll be walking along, and my knee will just 
go because it's just not wired up the yeah. way it's supposed to be. And you have smallish joints. Yeah, smallish joints for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say relative to form was was stance. And I don't know if it makes a difference to knees, but uh, I know that there for a while, a a more straight-on foot stance, a less, less ducked out, like a less than 15% angle was going around as being a good idea. And I know that it caused additional torque on your hips right. for sure. Yeah, depending on and how big your femurs are, or how long your yeah. thigh bone is, uh, stance and, and yeah, knee uh, toe positioning will matter a lot. And then how much you can open your hips. And, you know, there's some yeah. guys. Our old training partner Tristan Scholl could squat double his his shoulder width, so he'd have his legs real wide right. and get his knee dead middle of his midfoot uh, right. at the bottom of the squat. I can't do that. No, I can't. Uh, but I think, you know, without going into a squatting lesson, uh, yeah, getting your knee about to your midfoot or kind of over your second toe, yeah. um, depending on how you're built and depending the goal, uh, is probably the safest way and most efficient way, mm-hmm. and which luckily for powerlifting and a lot of things we do in life, um, how to be efficient in the movement, jumping, mm-hmm. running, squatting, deadlifting, benching, is also the same way and the same technique that will allow you to be uh, safest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't mean that you can't get injured. It uh, doesn't mean that you won't get injured, but uh, hopefully you're less likely to get injured. Uh, and so being the strongest, being performing the best, and being the safest often go, uh, majority of the time, go hand-in-hand technique-wise. All right, well, we'll see what Dr. Aaron has to say. Uh, edit blogs, create content. I just got back from the gym for an hour um, and just doing a lot of squat university stuff all day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm at the clinic treating patients from 7 in the morning till 7 at night. So yeah. it's, a, it's a busy week, but I try to balance the two between, I guess, real work and, and fun work which is quite university yeah yeah that's a grind because a lot of people i did a little bit of both for a while like training uh-huh. people and whatever but like you start to manage your time and you're like shit man i can make a little bit more money and have a lot more fun on the internet i'm gonna start yeah, to slowly sure. eliminate some of these but like you said uh in the podcast too is like but the experience and hands-on like i always make sure i at least have like five clients like uh, if i'm not training someone then whatever i'm talking about is bullshit yeah, you know, because I've had people ask me before, like, hey, why don't you take Squat University and make it your full-time job? And I think first, some people don't even realize that Squat University is not my full-time job. Like, that's yeah. my, <laughs> yeah. I'm a physical therapist full-time. Like, this is just a side gig for me that I love doing. Um, the, the big thing is I don't want to stop being a clinician. Like, I still realize that I'm, I'm only 32 years old. Like, you know, the world changes and I want to still stay up on my game up as far as how I treat injuries and and continue to progress in that way because I feel like that always keeps you on your toes. You know, I, I didn't want to get stuck. Like you said, you always want to continue training people. You don't want to get stuck, I think, if you only only just start teaching. Yeah, you, know? you get stuck in, in how you coach people that way. Because I, cause I yeah, took like a exactly. break where I was coaching no one. I was like, shit, man, I feel like I'm not learning. Mm-hmm. And then luckily yeah. for me, we do this podcast, so I get to talk to smart people <laughs> all the time, so I continue my <laughs> education while making content. But yeah, otherwise, if you're just yeah. doing one of them, like if you're just an Instagram uh, physical therapist, which I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts on nowadays, uh, you just get stuck. You get stuck in the same routine yeah. and you say, oh, you know, well, you have tendinopathy, you just do this and fix it because you're not you're not dealing with, like you said, 10 different people with this tendinopathy and trying to figure out yeah. ways to fix it. Hmm. Exactly. I mean, the way I treat patients now with some certain injuries, I mean, it's very different than the way I treated five years ago. You know, and I feel like if you're not taking 
every single day or every week as an opportunity to try to learn something new and grow as a person, like you're going to get left behind and you're going to become irrelevant as far as how you can help other people. And my goal is to try to try to just impact as many people as possible. Yeah. yeah. And in, in that way, I have to continue to grow as, as well as myself. And I think the big thing is I feel like a lot of people are scared to say that they're continuing to learn. Like they almost anoint themselves as an expert. And I'm like, look, I'm not an expert yet. I'm still standing on the shoulders of the giants that I come before me. I'm still trying to just learn as much as I can every single day. And while I do so, I've learned these things along the way. Let me help you because I know, you know, Johnny, who's a 24-year-old weightlifter, he's having pain likely every once in a while because I know myself, man, I haven't gone a month in my entire career as a weightlifter without something aching and paining. For sure. You know? so I'm like, <laughs> if I can help someone else along the lines with that, like, man, that's what it's all about. Yeah, and in your field, there's like technology starting to come about, you know, all these, which maybe we have to have you on a different podcast and talk about gimmicks. Uh, as yeah. you mentioned, uh, even in that last one, you're talking about scraping and all this stuff so popular on the internet now. Everyone's got yeah. a fucking butter knife on their quad <laughs> before they squat. Or, or yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or yeah, yeah, or, or, or stimulus yeah. or yeah, cupping or uh, complex type deal, power dot, whatever you have even. Everyone's pipping it out all over the internet because they have some kind of influence. But like, as far as yeah. I know, you obviously know more than me, but like there's not a lot of data on these things and if they do help like the percentage is so low you motherfuckers exactly. are just you know hopping into a one rep max squat after a butter knife rather than doing some prep movements maybe it would help you in the long run yeah exactly sometimes it's like a you have to have context you have to a say hey this is here's the foundation oh it's movement it's movement first and then on top of that is is scraping or, or cupping or needling is that effective it can be for some it can be a waste of time for others we have to have context, and I'm definitely the last person to try to sell out and be like, hey, buy this for $10,000, you know, <laughs> just so I can get paid a little bit in the short term. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. For sure. Uh, which uh, movement patterns, uh, warming up for lifts. We're, we're talking squats now. Yeah. Next episode, okay. squats. You can't squat because it's bad for your knees is what's been told on, on I guess, in person more, but maybe the internet too. It just for, seems like that. that's something I've been hearing for decades I yeah think. and 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 my sure. my argument here to play devil's advocate obviously i'm a power lifter and i coach squatting but uh is that it's all stereotypes i feel like have some root whether it's you know uh, real valid or not there's there nothing's just made up someone saw something felt something and then made this popular and obviously it probably got popular beyond its stereotype but it started somewhere uh are squats yeah. bad for your knees is there is there a reason and is there a, maybe a body type that shouldn't just shouldn't squat yeah great question to answer it let's go back in history we'll take a little detour we'll do a squat history 101 a lot of this idea that squatting is bad for your knees can actually be traced back in history to around the 1950s so technically yeah a number of decades back there was this doctor down in texas by the name of dr carl klein and he worked with a number of the football players on this university team that were also sustaining a lot of knee injuries. Now, I'm talking like MCLs, torn ACLs, and things like that. And he theorized that the reason behind a lot of the rise in ligament injuries was that these athletes were squatting really deep with load on their back during their training, and it was stretching out their ligaments, creating instability, and then when they go play football, they're more prone to having an injury. Well, Seems logical. What he did... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, every every research article comes with an, a theory or an idea first. So what he did was he tested it. He created this sort of self-made device that fit over the knees, and it put pressure on the knees at different, in different places and measured the laxity, basically how much the knee could move, 
based on his research, he concluded, and he had a number of athletes from the football team and not on the football team who never squatted before. He concluded that deep squats created a little bit more laxity and therefore was the reason behind these rise in knee ligament injuries. Well, this research, obviously at first was just in a couple medical publications, which barely anyone reads, but what people did read at the time was Sports Illustrated. Mm. Now, in 1962, there was an issue of Sports Illustrated that actually ran a story on the deep squat fear based on Carl Klein's research. And then from there, just sort of spread all across the world. I think there was a superintendent of New York City schools that just outlawed squatting deep as part of the physical education classes. Wow. The um, I think it was the Marine Corps eliminated this movement called the squat jumper, where basically they were going into a deep squat, jumping up. But basically, high schools just across the world, where a lot of people are introduced to lifting in the first place, stopped squatting deep based on this fear that deep squatting would stretch out the ligaments of your knee and create you know, an instability that could eventually create pain. Well, what happened, though, is that, you know, you don't necessarily or you can never base your findings off one or two research articles. Anyone that's been in the medical community or any type of community that does a lot of research, like strength conditioning, you know that the findings of a research article need to be validated by other research to really come up with the idea that we can say, based on all of these research articles, yeah, we can say, you know, pretty definitively that deep squatting is bad for knees. Well, different research articles or different research teams tried to redo them. They took the same self-made device that Klein had been taking, and they had um, some basketball players go play basketball for like an hour and a half. They had some runners go run for a long time. They had some athletes go and squat for a long time, and they tested and retested their knee stability, and they found the exact opposite in that the athletes that had been squatting actually had more stability in their knees afterwards than the athletes that had been playing basketball for an hour and a half or running for an hour and a half. Was this a, a so, acutely tested, like a tested right afterwards? Like you squat and then yes. you go to this test? Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then I think there was another article again, maybe like in the 80s, uh, later 80s, where they took uh, competitive weightlifters and powerlifters and they found that they had uh, less laxity in their knees than those who had never squatted. So they had people... Uh, who had squatted historically for a long time and the people who had never squatted, and they tested their knee laxity. Again, looking at how loose their knee was with comp- complete relaxation. Again, finding that the deep squat is not only a safe exercise in terms of knee stability, but actually can improve the stability of your knees. So basically debunking the entire myth at the, at the start back in the 1950s that deep squatting created instabilities in the knee that led to injuries. Now, That's obviously only with the fear of knee instability. The other big thing we have to talk about is obviously the arthritis. Because Mm. if we look at the forces that are placed on the knees during deep squatting, they're shear forces, which is sort of forward back sliding, which is if the shear force is really high, that's where you get injuries like torn ACLs and Mm. things like that. But you also have a lot of compression. And the deeper you squat, the more compression is placed on your knees. So... Basically, a lot of people would then fear that if you're doing a lot of heavy squatting and you're doing it a ton over years and years and years, that that compression could cause arthritis. It could wear away the smooth underlining cartilage of the knee. Unfortunately, this is just a theory because it's never been proven. In fact, there's very little evidence out there that excessive squatting 
creates any, any sufficient cartilage wearing away compared to just general populations. If you look at research on elite powerlifters and weightlifters, uh, they have relatively healthy knees compared to general population when we look at long-term effects of arthritis. There's no research that shows that weightlifters and powerlifters are that much more prone to having arthritis later in life than uh, regular everyday people. That's so interesting. Again, yeah, we're debunking that myth. Now, is there going to be more research in the future that maybe changes that? Possibly. You know, as a as a clinician, you always have to be open to the idea that your ideas may change based on the available research. But based on the research that we have now, that's not there's not a cause and effect of squatting, especially deep, leads to arthritis and wearing away. Now, here's the big thing to understand of why that could happen. Who knows, you know, powerlifters that squat above 90% every single day in and day out and a full depth? Not many, because no. eventually those athletes get injured, yeah. right? The big reason powerlifters get so strong and then stay so strong, you know, especially the ones that get to the top of the game and then stay there for a long time, they are masters at periodization. They understand that you need heavy days as far as volume and intensity, and you need light days, and you may only squat once or twice a week. You know, you're not squatting heavy every single day. That's just basic natural biological adaptation to allow the ability to withstand that much volume and intensity and keep your body healthy. You know, this all goes back. I know a lot of people who are exercise science nerds like myself go back to reading the book uh, Super Training by Mel Schiff. I mean, the amount of information he talked about in there is so true, relevant today, even though it's based on research back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. When you have a stimulus, like a deep squatting day, you're obviously going to have an adaptation in your body. And if you allow for enough rest and proper recovery, you then have super compensation. Your body grows to adapt to meet that stimulus. You're then able to grow so that you can tolerate a little bit more capacity for intensity and volume. So if you have that good wave, if we look at periodization as far as intensity and volume, we're having good heavy days, we're having good uh, recovery days, your body is not going to become overwhelmed with the training that you're doing. And you're not going to have this wearing away, this arthritis. If you look at people who have developed horrible arthritis, they're like, oh, I was a power lifter back in the day and now my knees are, are shit and I have to have a total knee replacement. If you look at the type of training they did, they probably just trained heavy all the time. They didn't allow themselves mm -hmm. to have recovery days because especially as a power lifter and a weightlifter, and here's something I really got from, from Dr. McGill, a lot of his uh, teachings, the training that you're doing is not only when you're doing it. That's not where the training stimulus necessarily is. It's the recovery. Mm. The recovery days, that's where the actual adaptations occur to allow you to become stronger, to allow your bones to become thicker, to allow your muscles to become stronger, to allow you to lift more weights. So if you don't have that training stimulus and that training recovery, you don't have adaptation that is going to be helpful and you're going to eventually have arthritis. So the breakdowns occur when you don't listen to your body and train appropriately. So arthritis could be very help, you know, very common. You could have very bad, uh, I guess, poor adaptations to squatting deep, but it can often be traced back to the way in which you're training. 
Yeah, there's just so many factors that are involved, right? Because if you're a full-time basketball player, football player, college professional, and then you're trying to get stronger in squat, like you said, the stimulus may just be too much for some. And so you could see logically why a strength coach, because I've heard about a lot of universities even currently don't have their athletes squat or deadlift. Um, because again, a guy's playing basketball six times a week, and then one strength coach, who knows when, added squats and a bunch of people got injured. But but if you added too much volume too soon and these guys are still playing basketball all the time, yeah, obviously you can't adapt to that much stimulus at the time. Um, but like you said, if it's periodized and planned out uh, around the volume of the other activities they have going on in their life, whether they're a pro athlete or just a casual athlete, uh, then maybe you can fit it in or you should be able to fit it in if you have any kind of... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's all about individualizing the training program to the person and their needs and understanding as a basketball player, you're going to have a lot of loads placed on your body during the actual you know practicing and playing the game so doing the same training program that your buddy who's a power lifter while you're a competitive basketball player is probably not going to play out very well in the end that doesn't make a whole lot of sense does it uh <laughs> I, I would imagine too that there's a, a good possibility that the people that we see in the strength sports world that end up with um knee replacements hip replacements stuff like that or people that may have had those problems anyway they may have just had them earlier in life just because they had they had structural defects that that led to that or they had some kind of congenital or hereditary uh, condition that made them more likely to have the problem in the first place oh yeah i mean there's definitely a lot of variability when we're talking about anatomy and individual responses to training i mean if you take 10 athletes and you put them on the same training program you're probably going to see a wide variability of who gets stronger who gets injured who didn't make any progress at all you know so the same applies when we're talking about injuries you know the the loads that may be right for one person may not be right for another person so if you have 10 people that are all doing the same training program uh some people may just be more prone because their levels of adaptation are not the same as everyone else they may just be more set up to having you know a load intolerance injury in the end um you know if we're talking about deep squatting obviously or switching gears and talking about the knees let's talk about the hip joint you have some people that naturally have very very deep hip sockets mm -hmm. well if you have a deep hip socket uh depending on the type of anatomy and way in which the femur the neck of the femur aligns you may not be very set up for really deep squatting because you're going to have more inclination for impingement we call it femoral acetabular impingement or fai and some people based on their anatomy should not be squatting all the way to depth because you're going to have the front side of your femur run into the front side of your acetabulum, mm. your hip socket, and you're going to get that impingement. Whereas someone who has sort of a diplastic hip, which is sort of a more of a shallow hip socket, you're going to allow your femur can move around a lot more. So you're not going to have as much chance to have sort of that smashing of the two structures in the bottom. So one person may be able to squat much more deeper without uh, impingement of the hip than someone else. So again, anatomy differences can create large adaptation differences and uh, set someone up for an injury or not. Slightly different question, but uh, something that just popped in my head. Another common maybe myth stereotype is kids and squatting. Um, is there an age uh, you think that people should be squatting, not squatting? Loaded squats, I guess uh, we should be more um, exact with uh, because obviously kids are running around and being maniacs either ways. But uh, <laughs> any, any harm on the knee, hip uh, for developmental reasons for a kid to be squatting at, at maybe, let's say, preteen or something? Yeah, great question. I think it all comes down to a couple of different factors. 
the athlete, no matter what age they are, needs to be able to take instruction. They need mm-hmm. to not be joking around in the weight room because actually a lot of injuries in the weight room occur not from doing the actual lift, but from horse playing and like, you know, they trip over a weight or something like that. Um, so they have to be able to, to take instruction. They have to be mature enough to really focus on technique and not just go about the movement lackadaisically. And if they can do those different things, I mean, I've seen athletes as young as like five years old, you know, getting in the weight room and, and doing some training. I think the big thing is having a coach that understands the prescribed loads mm. are right for that person. And that's, that's something at five years old that's applicable and something that 30 years old that's applicable. If you're having incorrect loads on that person's training program, they're going to develop an injury whether they're five or 30. So, you know, obviously at five years old, what we're looking for is great looking technique. And we're looking for being able to have good movement quality. And we can definitely load appropriately if their technique is able to remain really, really high. Um, as far as quality wise, um, if you look at the research, there's no research that shows that lifting as a preteen is detrimental to your health, detrimental to the joints. A lot of people will have this idea that you're going to fracture your growth place or things like that. Mm. Not if you're using good technique and in appropriate loads. If you look at the research, I think there's only one article that showed in the research, at least that, uh, there was an athlete that. Uh, broke a growth plate, so I had a fracture at the growth plate. And if you actually read into it, don't just read the abstract or the article. It was like, like a teenager that was doing some overhead lifting in his parents' basement and like dropped a weight behind him. No. So obviously unsupervised, poor technique. Like obviously those things can happen, but there's not any other research that's showing that there's an increase of risk for sustaining a growth plate fracture if you're using good prescribed loads and good technique. Um, there's a number of uh, medical communities nowadays that recommend and uh, say that it's very safe for young athletes to use weight training as a style of training. And in fact, um, you're actually going to see lower risk of sustaining an injury in like a, a weightlifting or powerlifting population for a young athlete than in sports like football or soccer, which is actually really interesting as well. Wow. Well, so the bottom line here is squat within reason squat. Right. Yeah. I mean, as big thing is squatting bad for you. Not if you use good technique and appropriate loads, squatting with bad technique and inappropriate loads. Sure. That can get you injured just as any other lift could outside of, uh, you know, or in the weight room. Yeah. Or anything in life. You're driving a car that's not mechanically fit and you're driving it too fast. Yeah. Something's going to fucking exactly. blow up. Exactly. exactly. Well, that was awesome. Uh, where can people find you, Aaron? Yeah, find me all across social media. Uh, Instagram's probably the most, uh, the largest following where I put new content out every single day. If you're looking more uh, at some of the content that we talked about today, I've got a blog article on squatuniversity.com. Click on the blog article tab at the top, and you can scroll down to the blog article that uh, I think it's Are Deep Squats Bad for the Knees? There's all the research there if you'd like to look into that. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I am at the Jim McD on all the social medias. Mike is Silent Mike Two Ks. Uh, give us a rating and review. Check out Squat University on on Instagram and and iTunes. And we appreciate you guys for listening. All right, in the show, fifty percent facts, where percent is a word. We'll see you next week.